Okay. It didn't sound like it was on. There you go. Are we getting a good? Yeah. Getting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Praise the Lord. Well, good to see you all in church this morning. Praise the Lord. So, my sermon title this morning is called "Preparing My Heart for Revival." Preparing my heart for revival. I believe what we've heard from the Spirit that God is intending on visiting us in greater and greater measure and that we should expect revival um, in this house. So um, how many people want to see a revival? How many people want to see a revival? All right. Those who didn't raise their hands, this is for you. How many people want to be part of a revival? Oh, you see, there's a difference between, you know, uh, seeing a revival and being part of it. And the question is, are you sure? Mm -hmm. And we got down to three holy grunts after the many hands. Now we're coming down just a little bit. You see, revival means renewal of something that was old. It means change. It means doing things differently, right? Doing things differently. So I want to have the lights down a minute, and I want to show you a picture or two, and I want to see if you can identify the person. So lights down. Let's see. Can we have the first one? You may not be able to identify that person. Next picture. Maybe you're getting a little bit better, huh? Okay, give us another one. This is a homeless drug addict. Okay, keep going. Don't recognize the person, do you? Give us another one. Uh-huh. Homeless drug addict. Keep going. All right, give us one more. And give us the next one. Go ahead, stand. Come on. <clears throat> How many years were you on the streets as drug addicts? Uh, I was about seven. Seven? Six. Six? Okay. And God has done something, changed your life. That's revival. Right there. Amen. God bless you. All right, I've got another picture. See if you see this person. Do you know them? No, you don't, hey? All right, let me tell you what they look like today. Go ahead. Pastor Brian, go ahead and stand. You sat down too quickly, Brian. Get up. You know what, Brian? Come on down here. Go back to the old picture. Go back. Love you, Dad. My son in the Lord, pastor with us. Pastor Brian. It's what I call revival. Amen? Thank you. Change. Revival means change. If we're not changing people's lives, if we're not converting them and getting them to, to get off what they've been on and come to Jesus and just look at the difference. Now I want to prepare your heart for revival. Revival can happen three ways. It can happen individually, personally. Or it can happen in a people group, i.e. a church like our body. 
And it can also happen with a manifested presence of God. Person, people, or presence. The presence of God manifested in a place, in a house, in a person's life. But get this, it always starts with individual touch of God. Every single time it begins with an individual. Raise your hand and say, God, let us start with me. God, let us start with me. Now, you see, unfortunately, <clears throat> you can experience, or unless you experience a personal revival in, in yourself, you can unfortunately be in a move of God and miss it. Sounds strange? But how many of you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? This was the great move of God, chapter 4, chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are getting born again. The believers are bringing all their stuff. They're selling their property, and they're bringing it into the house, and they're dividing it amongst those that are poor. Such a move of God is occurring. Peter is in charge. The Holy Ghost is moving. And Ananias and Sapphira decide to lie to the Holy Ghost about their property and their sale. And they bring a portion of what they sold for, they give it to the apostles, and they say, this was all that we got for it. And guess what happened? They dropped dead for lying right there in church. Only people that ever dropped dead happened during the offering, so we took it first. <laughs> the, the point is this. The point is this. It is possible to be sitting in some of the greatest moves of God ever, and your heart not be with it. Your heart being deceptive. There's a falseness. You're not genuine with the Spirit of God or what's going on. So we must be very, very careful about that. This sermon started with the Holy Spirit speaking to me one morning in my prayer time. I was just in my prayer time, Jackie is busy sleeping. I'm in the room taking care of her. And that's where I do my quiet time when she lets me. And the Holy Spirit just dropped this in my heart. And he said, revival is when the rain of the Spirit falls on dry ground and moistens it and makes it receptive to the seed of the Word of God, which produces life, and that life produces fruit. So I wrote that down. Actually, I grabbed my phone and I did an audio voice to record it so that I would uh, not forget what he was saying. How many of you have heard the statement or this prophecy, God is doing a new thing? Have you heard that? It seems like a popular prophecy. God is doing a new thing. I wonder why. The answer is because he is. God is always doing something new. Nothing stale about God. See, a revival is a fresh move of God. It's a new thing. And you know what? It never, never looks like what we imagined. Many people pray for a revival, and when it hits, they leave the church. Because they presupposed something was going to look like what they had imagined a revival was going to look like. Many people left the church at the time then when, you remember the flower power movement was it the 60s or the 70s what was it called Jesus movement 
And all the drug addicts and barefoot, long-haired people came in to the church. And uh, you know that many people left the church when they came in and said they should not be allowed in like that. Why? Because they had imagined something different. They had imagined more people that looked like themselves. And if you don't look like me, I'm not comfortable being in church with you. Well, you're going to have to have a diverse church, right? Amen. Otherwise, don't plan on going to heaven. So what does revival look like to you? What does it look like to you? Anybody? Looks like you? That's exactly what I'm saying. You know, I mean, more of the same? No. Different. Anybody out here? What does revival look like to you? All right, nobody's going to talk back to me. Moving along. <laughs> Do you think that revival is just more of the same? Just, just bigger amounts, just more of what we've got. No, that might be growth, but it's not necessarily revival. Say, revival means change. Revival means change. Turn and tell your neighbor, revival means change. Revival means change. <laughs> if you were a Jewish Old Testament believer, when I mean believing in God, I'm not talking about a Christian, there weren't any Christians in the Old Testament, but if you were an Old Testament believer, how do you think you would have reacted on the day of Pentecost? Huh? Pretty much like Saul did, went out and started killing them, persecuting them, throwing them into jail. How did the followers of Jesus react when he presented a new truth to them that was too difficult for them to cope with? Revival always involves something new. So a new truth, Jesus, the greatest teacher of all, the prophet, the son of God, presents a new truth. He says to the crowd of his disciples and followers, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, otherwise you have no life in you. You know what? I would have left the church as well. I mean, I, I, you know, cannibalism is, is, is out of the picture. But we do have it in the Bible. You know that? 2 Corinthians 8.1. Okay, you'll catch it on the way home. It's quite funny. But what happened? What did the crowd do? They turned and walked away. They said, this is a hard saying. And he turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to go too? He didn't go, oh, you know, changed my mind. Sorry, slip of the tongue. Didn't mean it, didn't mean it. Just joking, joking. Come on back, everybody. We need the crowd. No, he didn't do that. He said, this is the truth. Take it or leave it. And you see, this is the problem we're having today in the church of Jesus Christ amongst many churches. That the preachers are preaching not so much the truth, but not to offend people. They don't want to chase away the people. And if there is any new first-time people, visitors that come, then they've got to be on special behavior and watch everything you say so that they don't get offended and you pray that they come back. <clears throat> All churches have revolving doors. 
People come in and people go out. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we can't embrace the new is that we won't let go of the old status quo. We hang on to it. In Law and Grace, first year, and in Book of Galatians, second year, Bible College, we talk about the transition from the law to grace and how we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the problems that the disciples had, James, John, Peter, they all had these problems in moving from law to grace. I mean, Peter got hauled over the coals because he went to Cornelius' house, who was a, a Gentile. And the Holy Spirit fell, and they got baptized in water. And down in Jerusalem, they want to know, why did you do this? This is Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 15. You see the whole thing happening there. Because the transition was difficult. So don't get too hard on yourself if you find it difficult to move from the old to the new. Because you see, the old is comfortable. It's comfortable. There, there's no threat. There's no pressure when it's the old. So I ask you this question. Are you prepared to break free from your traditions for a deeper, more personal walk with God? Because remember, you can't keep doing the same thing you're doing and expect a different result. That's insanity. And if you're doing what you're doing and you're not happy with where you are spiritually, something's got to change. And it's going to call called revival in you, personal revival. The definition uh, of a tradition, and the tradition is what we've been doing all the time, you're going to have to break free from it, is this. It's a transmission of knowledge or belief from one generation to another, especially by word of mouth, tale, belief, or custom. That's what a tradition is. Now, you know, some of the customs and beliefs practiced in many churches are just not scriptural. They have no scriptural basis for what is done. I'm not picking on anybody today. I'm just saying there. I'm throwing this out. Why would Christians embrace such customs? Why would they do that? Well, here's the primary reason. They don't know that is a denominational tradition. They don't know that. They think it's good. They think by doing this, I'm pleasing God. By doing this, I'm being religious. They don't understand it's not. So then, where do they come from? Where do these customs and traditions come from? Well, firstly, they come from well-meaning people. Now, let's just be honest with you. These are people who love God and who introduce into the church something that they think is going to help the congregation. But it's not based on Scripture. So, should we challenge these customs? Should we challenge these traditions? And if so... On what basis should we challenge them? The Word. The Word is the re that is what must be the basis for everything we do. You see, if, it's not, if it cannot be done, sorry, if what is being done cannot be verified by Scripture, then it should not be done. 
Okay? So let me throw a few things out there that you're all aware of. Christening babies. Seems like it's a good thing to do. Want to make sure this baby gets to heaven. Want to give it a name. And we don't want to dunk it under water. And it's much more convenient for the parents to come in front of the church and dedicate the child, have it sprinkled, and give its name. And then everybody feels the child's okay, good to go. Well, we can't find that in Scripture. We can't find it in Scripture. So how come this is practiced in so many churches? Do you understand what I'm saying by way of custom or tradition? What about the beautiful robes that many of the people that are on the stage wear? Different colors, different designs, beautiful robes. Do you find that in Scripture? I know Jesus wore a robe, but that's what was the custom of the day. More men wore robes at those days. Okay, but mm, not so much men in dresses on the stage. Not so much. Okay, what about burning incense? Yep, I mean, I know. Candles. In the Old Testament, we find candles. Not in the New Testament. So these are just a few things that, you know, I'm just throwing them out there. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying there are customs and there are traditions. And I don't think wearing rag, uh, uh, robes. Um, I caught that. I sucked that back in. And burning candles and incense, I don't think it's going to keep you out of heaven. Okay? It's just going to give you a false security. That, you, that you're pleasing God and you think that you're doing what's right. Jesus challenged the customs of his day. He challenged the traditions. He challenged the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the would not He challenged all of them. He said, you're not going to do it this way. He called them whitewashed sepulchres. Remember this? He went for them. Okay? And uh, so I've never had anybody want to kill me after preaching, but they try to kill Jesus a few times. They got mad at what he was doing. And you know, one of the reasons it says that he that they wanted to kill him, because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then they want to kill Lazarus, because he was raised from the dead. <laughs> He'll raise him again, dummy. Kill him, raise him, kill him, raise him, kill him, raise him. You're not going to beat that. What are you talking about? <laughs> got to stop this man. So he heals somebody on the Sabbath day in church, and that's forbidden. No, can't do that. Why not? Because it's the Sabbath day. See? So Jesus was breaking the customs and the traditions, and he was hated for it by the traditionalists of the day. So let's read a scripture found in Mark chapter 7 from verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes kept asking Jesus, why do your disciples not order their way of living according to the tradition handed down by the forefathers to be observed, but eat with hands unwashed and ceremonially not purified? But he said to them, excellently and truly did Isaiah prophesy of you, the pretenders and hypocrites. As it stands written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts hold off and are far distant from me. In vain they do they worship me, 
ordering and teaching to be obeyed as doctrines, the commandments and precepts of men. You disregard and give up and ask to depart from you the commandments of God and cling to the tradition of men, keeping it faithfully and carefully. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting, thus thwarting and nullifying and doing away with the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition, your own human regulations. Verse 13, very, very powerful verse, very important. Thus, because of this, you are nullifying and making void and of no effect the authority of the word of God through your tradition, which you in turn hand on and many things of this kind you're doing. Unscriptural traditions produce error and always put you in a place of non-resistance against Satan because it neutralizes the power and authority of the Word of God. Are you listening to me? If you just heard that sentence, you could go home, you're good to go. See, the problem is that we don't know what beliefs and what traditions we have are error. We don't know which are unscriptural until we examine them in the light of Scripture. And this is the question I'm asking. Are we prepared to examine our traditions and our customs under the magnifying light of the Word of God? And then are we willing to give up those customs, traditions that are not in the Word and are not scriptural? It's a big challenge. John 10.35 says the Scripture cannot be broken. The Bible says the Word of God is final authority. Jesus, Jesus, in fact, said it is written. Now, just because you've been doing something 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it acceptable before God and doesn't make it scriptural. You may be sincere in what you're doing, but you're sincerely wrong. You follow? Yeah. There are so many sincere Christians. I mean, they'll die for their belief. The question is, will they live for Jesus? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Revival through the ages have always challenged the customs, the beliefs, and the culture and traditions of the day. You know, Martin Luther, and I'm sure you've all heard of Martin Luther. He's the one who came up with a great understanding of the just shall live by faith. On the 31st of October, 1571, he nailed on the door his thesis of 95 things against indulgences. And uh, for those who don't know, it's... It is something that is practiced by the Catholic Church, if I'm correct. If I'm wrong, say so, and I'll stop. 
But back in those days, indulgences were a, a, a result of people giving money. They could give money to the Catholic Church, and they could buy indulgence for somebody who's already dead. These people were in purgatory, and the money that they gave them absolved them from their sin and let them out of purgatory so they could go to heaven. Catholics still believe in purgatory, but now the indulgence are no longer bought, as far as I understand, but they're still offered to people who are alive to absolve them from sin. Somebody has to pay for somebody else's sin, but that was Jesus. Not a human, not, not nobody else. Okay? And anything that we try to do to absolve someone from sin to get them into heaven is blasphemy. Because it's totally contrary to the understanding of grace where Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that gets us into heaven and resolves of our sin and cleanses us from all sin and makes a way and pardons us. Not money and nobody else's sin. Are you ready? Amen. You see, a move of God will open your eyes and your heart to the possibilities in God if you're humble enough to see it. Because when a move of God starts, you have two choices. Embrace it or reject it. And if you reject that move of God, you will reject it for the rest of your life unless God very graciously knocks you off your horse. Unless you come to a place where in desperation you need the very thing that you've rejected. I.e. you don't believe in healing. Healing begins to happen in your church. You walk away from it, you don't believe it, and one day you're desperate, dying of cancer, and you need healing, and suddenly you believe it. John 8.31 says, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it is the word of God that sets us free. Now I'm going to ask a question here. How many people here today are from a more traditional church background? I, what I'm saying is maybe you're Catholic, Lutheran, uh, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Baptist, Confused, one of those churches. Anybody? Let me see the hands. So by and large, most of you, most of you have come from a traditional church. So perhaps you once said when you went to a church that was different, I have seen strange things today. Yeah? What happened the first time you saw a prayer line and somebody fell down on the prayer line? You want to rush to help them. What's wrong with this person? Would they have a, had a heart attack or what happened? We had people, guests of ours, sitting in the very front row. We were praying for the people. People fell down. They got up and left and never came back. Yeah, never came back. What happened the first time you heard tongues in church? Your hair stand up? If you had any? Yeah? What about if you saw a miracle? 
like leg growing out. That's when you pinch yourself, and again and again, you go like, what am I seeing? Right? How many of you have seen a miracle like that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, what about when you witnessed a demon being cast out? That scared the bejeebies out of you, huh? Okay, what happens you when you went into a church and you just saw people raising their hands? I'm not talking about talking in tongues. I'm not talking about, you know, demons and all miracles. I'm just talking about raising their hands, just worshiping God. Can we just raise our hands this moment? Just raise our hands and say, Lord, I love you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the freedom I have to give you praise and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Didn't that make, make you feel better? Now, all of you raised your hands. You're now members of the promise, just to let you know. Okay, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? I'm talking about a New Testament believer. What do they look like? Let's go read Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus says to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news or the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. So this is going to happen to believers. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands if they need to. And when they drink any deadly poison, they go out to restaurants. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick and they will get well. So this is what, look, what a New Testament believer looks like. They pray in the name of Jesus. They cast out demons. They speak with tongues. They heal the sick. They preach the good news of the gospel. They've been baptized in water. Amen? Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Praise God. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, we see the reverse. We see the opposite of this. But understand this. In the last days. Now, we all agree we're in the last days. So Timothy, by the Holy Spirit, prophesies about what the last days are going to look like. And he says, In the last days will come or set in perilous times of great stress, trouble, hard to deal with, and hard to bear. That was verse 1. We're going to fast forward to verse 5. He's still talking about the last days. And he says, For although they hold a form of piety or true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct, con conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. What? What? I thought you're supposed to love your enemies. You are. You are. This is not talking about loving your enemies. See, the problem is that these people are not your enemies. They're not your enemies. You can walk in a relationship with these people that deny the power of God, but you can't have an intimate relationship with them on the same level spiritually. So what happens is that you have to choose your friends so that you can stay in line with the Word of God. 
If you keep on fellowshipping with people that are wayward from the word, who have turned from the word, who of course just a little, ultimately it's going to affect you spiritually. They will talk into your life and into your head. And if they're persuasive enough by the help of Satan, you'll give ear to them and start to deviate from the truth. I've seen it happen a hundred times in our churches that we have pastored. I'm not talking about somebody else's church. I'm talking about what's happened in our churches. People who were Bible school graduates, gung-ho, living for God, turned and wrote me a letter and called us a cult after five years in the church. I could keep you here all day, but I don't want to. Just another 45 minutes. Christianity is about change. Say it one more time. Christianity is about change. You, become, you go from an unbeliever to believer. You get born again. Amen? There's, a, there's an experience that you have called becoming a new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. The Scripture tells us that all things pass away, and behold, all things become what? New. Then you must renew your mind. Then the Bible says that's change. Then the Bible says you have to put off the old man, put on the new man. Amen? Otherwise, you're never going to look like Aaron over there or Brian. You have to put off that old man and put on the new man. Amen? You've got to do that. That's, it's change. God expects every single believer to grow out of the babyhood stage and become mature. How would you like it if your two-year-old stayed two years old? No, that would be a problem. All right, let's read one more scripture. 2 Peter 1 verse 5. Talking about growing up now. Given, given all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Respond, make an effort. Supplement your faith. Add to your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. Add to it. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, add patience, endurance. And patience, endurance, add godliness. And with godliness, brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone else. Can you see the growth? Now, Peter says this by the Holy Spirit. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, hold your seats now. Hold your horses. Verse 9. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Growing in the things of God is not a suggestion. It's a requirement. I go this far as to say, if you haven't grown today, you're backslidden. You have to grow daily. And all of that change is speaking about revival. Revival that's occurring in you. See, having read this, I could ask you a very difficult question. Maybe we should have our eyes closed for this question. Close your eyes. I'm not expecting any hands to go up. 
How many people feel that they are fully matured and need no change in their life? Keep your hands closed. Keep your eyes closed. <clears throat> Keep your eyes closed. Revival means personal spiritual growth. It means transformation. Are you aware of such growth in your life recently? When last did you sense in your heart God doing something new in you, taking you to a new level, taking you deeper, a more intimate place? Not only does revival mean personal change, it also means change in the way we will do things in the church. Are you willing today to let the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit bring revival to you? Just stay where you are. I want you to think about that. I want the lights down. And I want you to respond if I call your name. I want you to come forward if I call your name. Cindy? Drea? Cheryl? Jess? Candice? Aaron? Shana, if you're here, I don't see you. Martisa? Christina Jepson? Margie? Jody? Those watching online, Sandy in Hawaii, I want you to stand when you're watching this. Kristen, Idaho, I want you to stand wherever you are if you're watching this. The Lord gave me a word for you. And the word of the Lord is, you have been set on fire. You are part of the revival that has already begun here at the Promised Church. The first ripple, the first wave has hit the shore, and you're in that wave. You're in that wave. You are already walking in the revival, and you're already part of the revival. Your heart has been seeking after God for more of Him, to be used of Him, and to see the manifestation of the presence of God. This has been your heart throb. This is, this is the blood that runs through your veins. There's no holding back with you. There's no half measures with you. Sold out to Jesus, and it's all the way. And you are at the forefront of what God is doing. You're at the forefront. You're part of it. You're not late to the party. Neither are you early. 
But the presence and the move of God is stirring in your heart, in your spirit. You need to understand that the hand of God is already upon you. You have been seeking Him with all of your heart, wanting to be part of a revival, wanting to see a revival. God said the revival has started and it's in you. And you are heading it. You are part of it and you are heading it. Right now. Right here. Just stay right there. I'm going to call a few more names. I want you to stand behind these people. Janice. LeCheryl. And you're watching online. You're not here. Peter and Diane Hovland, you're watching online. Ali, I know that you're at the back there. I think you're at the back. Can you, is it possible for you to leave the camera for a moment and come on down? Josh, don't get up and walk away. I need you and, jo and Robin down here too. Randy, step forward. Judy Allen. Nancy. Dr. Chris. Pam and Chris in Idaho, you're watching online, stand up. Dave Lindbergh, you're watching online, stand up. Laura and Roger, you're watching online, stand up. James, Jojo and Karen, come here. Now if I haven't called your name, it doesn't mean that you're not to be part of this group. These are names that were given to me by God that I should call out to speak to them. Robert and Josh, come down here. I called you. You can turn the music up just a little. The Holy Spirit said to me that your heart is for revival. That you want revival. That you want to see revival. You want to be part of revival. You're praying for revival. There's a hunger in you of faithfulness, commitment, loyalty. There's a generosity in you to do whatever you can to bring about the revival and be part of it. This is the second line I'm talking about. If it applies to the front line, that's fine. Take it. You are about to step into the very thing you've been praying for. The front line has already stepped into it. But there's a hunger in you that you know is from God. You know that you're desiring something not of this world. People to be saved, set free, changes. And you are saying, God, let it begin in me. Let it start in me. I'm ready. I'm submitting my heart and my life to you. I'm ready. And we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for that anointing upon these. And what you plan, plan to do with them, Lord. 
we participate, embrace, and walk together with the Holy Spirit to do what you want to do, Lord, your plans and your will. I want you to stay in this atmosphere, this tenderness. Take your seat because we want to pray for the rest. There's no more room up here. So if you would, take your seat. Now while they're taking their seat, if this thought went through your mind and heart, Lord, I wanted to be up there. I wanted to be there. My heart's desire is for that revival. I'm ready, Lord. Here's my life. Send me. I'm willing, Lord. If that's you, you stand up and come forward. I didn't call you by name, but the Holy Spirit put his finger on you where you're sitting right back there. And you know, you know that you know. You come and put your toes against the front. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just raise your hands to the Lord. Lord, these are people, your children, your bride, your lambs, your sheep, that are hungering after the things of God, desiring a move of the Spirit, wanting to see the lost saved, wanting to see the house filled and overflowing. They are crying out, Lord, here am I, use me. Lord, they're willing to do whatever it means to go the second mile, to lay down their life at the cross. They want revival in themselves and in this house. They want to see the manifestation and the presence of God touching people's lives, changing them. Oh God, oh God, their hearts are ready. Rain on them, Holy Spirit. You said you'd rain upon them. A gentle rain that would soften the heart and the dry ground. Make it ready to receive the seed of the Word of God. And it will spring forth and bring forth life. And that life would bring forth fruit. Oh, Father God, I've done what you asked me to do. And I believe with all of my heart, Lord. The revival has set in. It has set in. And people are giving up tradition. People are giving up customs. People are giving up things that they've held dear. That they might follow the word and the word only. Father, have your way at the promised church. Father, have your way with the promised tribe. We all surrender our heart and our life to you. And one day when we see you, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter the joy of the Lord. We count it joy, Lord. We count it a privilege and an honor to be part of what you're doing in the earth. Do that new thing, Lord. Do that new thing. And do it in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn and hug somebody behind you and say, welcome to the revival. <clears throat> and welcome to the revival. Hallelujah. God bless you. <clears throat> you may be seated. Can we have our ministry team up here, please?
Do we have our ministry team? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> if you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, you want these wonderful people to pray with you, prayer of agreement, lay hands upon you. They, have, they are called, anointed of God, full of power. Pray the prayer of faith. If you need help, you need prayer, we're here to serve you. We're here to serve you. Whatever's going on, we'll love you and we will serve you. Amen? Amen. And if you have never, ever asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, come forward with those who are coming for prayer. Ask somebody up the front to pray with you. Say, I'd like to surrender my life to Jesus. If you have never received the Holy Spirit with the prayer language, Come forward with those that are coming forward and ask somebody here to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Stephanie, the Lord told me that you were part of that second line. I didn't call your name. He said, you're part of that second line. And you've been praying for and believing God for the revival. And many people don't know the amount of time and prayer that you put in. But God said he's seen it. You're part of it. And uh, you may not be up the front here, but things are happening. You're speaking the word of God out of your mouth. You're bringing to pass the very will and plan of God in this church. Amen? Amen. And we love you. Amen. All right. So if you need prayer, everybody stand. If you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, we want to come down here, pray with the prayer team. If you want to give your life to the Lord, do so, or the Holy Spirit, do so. Come on down, and we're going to dismiss you, and we'll see you at P3 on Wednesday. This is just a foretaste. This was the appetizer. Amen? This was the appetizer for what's coming. God bless you. Have a great week.